Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, welcome, welcome to an emergency edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, and as always, we are joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Mr. Chris Fedor, who earlier today, while I was out at Brown's practice in Berea, reported that the Cavaliers were going to acquire Larry Markkinen from the Chicago Bulls as part of a three-team deal that would send Larry Nance Jr. to the Portland Trailblazers. And Chris, we have talked about this all summer, all spring, about how, you know, Larry is a tradable asset for sure, but how um, Kobe Altman might have to move if because Cavs <laughs> fans obviously love Larry Nance Jr. And today was the day. So it finally happened. We actually talked to Larry Nance Jr. about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah, about, you know, the trade possibility. And today was the day. So, um, like I said, Larry Dance Jr. going to the Portland Trailblazers and all of a sudden the Trailblazers seem to be a very Cleveland centric friendly team and city um, being that, you know, you have Larry Dance Jr. You have CJ McCollum, who's from right here in Northeast Ohio as well. Uh, and then the Cavs acquire a very young and talented player in Laurie Markkinen. So before we get started, Chris, before we start to ask you all these questions right now, <laughs> Right now, the Cavaliers have, I would say, their entire core, their big-time kind of big six guys, are all under the age of 25 years old. Darius Garland's 21, Colin Sexton's 22, Isaac Okoro yep. is 20, Evan Mobley is 20, Laurie Markkinen is 24, and Jared Allen is 23. So, are, are we safe to say that this core is here, this is it, this is the core that the Cavaliers are going to have moving forward? No, I mean, I don't think you can say that because I think, like, the bottom line is when we talk about young cores in the NBA, Hayden, yeah, like, there's this belief that that's the core that you're going to go with forever and ever and ever, right? Like, the truth is, like, some of these guys could be here to the very end when the Cavs, quote-unquote, turn the corner, or these guys could be used in a potential trade to get better if an opportunity presents itself and there's somebody who is out there that is a better fit. Um, so I think having these young guys makes the Cavs attractive moving forward in a potential trade for, I don't know who it would be, right? But if Brandon Ingram becomes available for the New Orleans Pelicans, now the Cavs have some young guys who could potentially be moved in those kinds of deals. Um, 
So I think this is what the Cavs feel good about, is that they have what they believe is a young, talented, promising core that can help this franchise move this thing forward on the court if that's the direction that they want to go or can bring in or or gives them a pathway to bring in external help if that's the potential direction that they want to go as well. I, I think for now, Hayden, I think it's fair to say that come training camp, um, all the guys that you mentioned are probably going to be here, and many of them are going to be in the starting lineup. But the Cavs are in a situation, and we've talked about this throughout the last couple of months. There is no LeBron here. There is no Giannis. There is no Luka. There are no untouchables. Well, I guess Evan Mobley is probably the closest thing to untouchable, and I bet Kobe would tell everybody to go bleep off if they called about Evan Mobley. Um, but, But the point remains that you know, Darius could be moved for the right player. Uh, Colin Sexton could be moved for the right player. That's not to say that the Cavs are looking to go that way and they're active in talks involving those kinds of guys. But when you don't have somebody like LeBron on your roster and you're not rebuilding around that kind of guy, um, it's hard to label certain players, quote unquote, untouchable, right? Correct. So let's dive into this thing. So the Cavaliers acquire Laurie Markkinen, a guy who can shoot the ball from outside, seven-footer. Um, Cavs obviously dealing at Larry Nance Jr., a little bit older, um, you know, a very, very athletic piece, uh, obviously a huge pillar in the community. You know, that's all part of it. But so I guess my question is, is there, there are so many, I have so many questions about this. <laughs> I hope let's, you wrote them all down. I, no, because I just literally ran home from Berea. I don't have them written down. I just have them all in my head. I'm just going to kind of start like start from square one. Um, what are the Cavs acquiring in Laurie Markkinen? Why does it make sense for the Cavs to acquire a player that's another player that's above seven foot when they just acquired Evan Mobley, who's above seven foot? They have uh, Jared Allen, who's a center, who's above seven foot. How are they going to make this thing work? So this is the thing that we talked about shortly after they drafted Mobley. Not all seven-footers play the game the same kind of way. Sure. And Markinen is a different seven-footer than Evan Mobley, and he's a different seven-footer than Jared Allen. So the Cavs believe that the trait that Markinen brings to the table, which is his outside shooting, he's a seven-footer who can shoot from range. He shot 40% from three-point range this past year in Chicago. Um, for his career, he's a 36.6% three-point shooter, although the Cavs don't believe that those numbers are reflective of what he's capable of because he didn't play with a true point guard and because the Cavs weren't all that thrilled about the kind of coaching that Markinen got early in his career. So they believe that the 40% that he showed this past year isn't the outlier. It's who he is and it's who he can be. Um And the shooting need for this team was glaring. One of the worst in the NBA in three-point attempts. One of the worst in the NBA in three-point makes. I believe the worst in three-point percentage, if I have that right. And the Cavs believe that he is a better fit, um, either with Mobley or Allen, depending on the line of construction, than somebody like Larry Nance Jr. because of that three-point shooting prowess. He takes about six threes a game as well. He's a pick-and-pop stretch four. Nance has gotten better as a three-point shooter, 
but he's not hoisting six a game. You're not running pick and pops with him. Um, Markinen's skill set, Hayden, is more similar, I would say, even though he's seven foot, it's more similar to Kevin Love. And the Cavs desperately missed that kind of shooting that, that Kevin was supposed to bring to the starting lineup last year, really the last two, three years. Um, and the Cavs believe that because of Markkanen's ability as an outside shooter, that he's going to be a better fit. Um, time will tell on that. I'm not saying that they're right. They could be wrong on that. Um, but that's what they believe, and that's the reason why they targeted him um, specifically. And this is somebody that the Cavs have liked for a while, by the way. So Markkanen, um, again, going to get a four-year deal, it looks like. Um, so he's going to be around for a while. You just signed Jared Allen to a deal, five years, $100 million. Yeah. Uh, That's a lot of money and years to be invested in these two guys. I mean, obviously, so you said it yourself, um, the Cavs, are, they're invested now. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're very much invested in Laurie Markkinen and, and Jared Allen. I mean, I would say they're probably as invested in those guys as they are in Evan Mobley at this point, considering, you know, he's getting a, he's going to have a rookie deal as well. Um, I mean, I just, I guess my point in all of this is just, I guess the direction is is not so much confusing as it is like, you know, are they going to, they're not going to have the money to pay Colin now? Are they going to have the money to pay Colin now? What are they going to do with Darius Garland now? I mean, there's there's a lot of questions. And like I said, they're just all rummaging through my head, um, like at, at 100 miles an hour. Well, look, I think the first thing is, and we've talked about this before, he's a power forward, so it's not an ideal fit. Yeah. But it's about traits over position. Okay. So the Cavaliers so, are playing completely positionless basketball at this point. I don't I don't know if it's completely positionless, but but I, I think in the situation that they're in, when they're trying to find as many talented players as possible, that they're not going to allow fit to be a detriment. And they're going to put their faith in head coach JP Bickerstaff to find a way to make it all work together. Right. And the way that it's been presented to me by multiple people inside the organization is that um, there are 96 minutes in the front court available at power forward and center. Okay. 96 minutes. Um, so if you break that down, you know, Jarrett is probably going to get between 30 and 34, he played 30 on average last year for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. So now you're at 66, okay? Mobley is going to get, I don't know, somewhere between 28 and 32. Anthony Davis played like 26 to 28 his rookie season. Bosch played 33. Garnett played around like 30. So to be safe, I think we can say 30. For Mobley. Mm-hmm. That brings us down to 36 minutes. That means there's still room to play Markinen as a starter, even though he's probably not going to start games for the Cavs. And then you figure out whatever you want to do with Kevin Love. So you're saying right now that Markinen will not is not going to start? Well, I don't think so. I think it's going to be really, really difficult for the Cavs to keep Evan Mobley out of the starting lineup. In fact, based on a conversation that I had earlier today, I think you can pencil Mobley into the starting lineup. They're not going to say that, right? You have to go into training camp. You have to have these guys battle it out. 
you can't grant players positions. You're going to make Evan earn it. But I'd be stunned if somebody is starting at power forward other than Evan Mobley on opening night. So, okay, that given that, given Mobley being in the starting but, line. But I think, like, the bottom line is Mobley is going to play starters minutes. Markinen's going to play starters minutes. And Jared Allen's going to play starters minutes. And then, and Kevin, then it's up to J.B. Bickert and then Kevin Love, whatever. You can't rely on Kevin. In fact, the big takeaway from today is that the Cavs are finally admitting that they cannot rely on Kevin Love. Right. And they got somebody who brings that kind of skill set to replace Kevin Love. Defensively. Oh, he's bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it seemed like with Larry, at least there was some semblance of defense there. You know, that kind of got, I mean, they've kind of been defense heavy lately when it comes to their selections. Evan Mobley defense heavy. Um, You know, you look at, like I said, Larry Nance Jr. has had some good defensive efforts, Isaac Okoro, and then all of a sudden they go to Laurie Markkinen, who not so defensive minded. So, um, is it just kind of like a wash in terms of, well, he's going to be better offensively, so defensively we can kind of, you know, survive? Uh, I mean, I guess. I, I, I don't know how it's going to work defensively, to be perfectly honest with you. It's going to be very difficult. Um, you know, if he doesn't play starters minutes... <laughs> The reason for that is because he's not able to defend. Right. Um, but but I think they're, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it. But I think they feel that, you know, if he plays with Mobley, that's a good compliment defensively. If, if they feel good enough with Mobley playing the five in certain lineups, they feel that's some protection for Markkanen. I think they feel Jared Allen can provide some protection for Markkanen if they play together. Um, and, and I think there is some belief that Ricky Rubio defending on the perimeter in certain looks instead of one of Darius Garland, Colin Sexton is going to make their perimeter point of attack defense better so that the defense doesn't go into scramble mode. But, but I think it's a legitimate concern that the Cavs traded away one of their best individual defenders. A big reason why the Cavs were near the top in terms of forcing turnovers at the beginning of the season last year was the disruption that Larry Nance Jr. caused before he got injured. Um, So losing that is going to be a significant blow. I think there's a recognition of that. I think what they hope, beyond all those things that I already said, is that they gain an offense. Because right. they were a horrendous offense last year. Right. Does this trade, I mean, again, of the million questions that are just bouncing in my brain, um, how much better does this make the Cavaliers significantly better this year? Or is this a long term play to where they feel like Laurie's going to be better going forward and the Cavaliers will be more established going forward? Because I think we've both kind of said that the Cavaliers need to take a step forward in terms of winning this year. Does this make them immediately better, or does this make them kind of have a take a step back? I think um, in the short term, it doesn't help much in the win column. I also don't think it hurts much in the win column either. Okay. I think it's very comparable. I think the truth is the Cavs are going to have a hard time boosting um, their winning percentage from last year because they're relying on so many young relatively unproving guys. 
Right. So that was going to be an uphill battle to begin with. I think Vegas set their over-under at around 26 wins. I think, man, that's a pretty good number. I think that's right about where they're probably going to be. Um, I, I don't think this deal in a vacuum um, moves that significantly up or down. Um, just like if they would have come back with Larry Nance Jr. instead of Laurie Markinen, Nance isn't the kind of guy who, for this kind of team, this rebuilding team, um, I don't think he was going to move the needle that much in terms of the win-loss record either. So this is, okay, it's a lateral, I, I think, again, it seems to be a little bit of a lateral move in the short term, but your hope is that in the long term, Markinum becomes worthy of the contract, he's young, he's developed, you develop him better, He, you know, the coaching will be better, Um I just think that, again, when you look at a, I know that, you know, I know that you can't worry about fans if you're Kobe Altman, but I think this this trade has been polarizing on multiple fronts because obviously Larry was such a big part of the community, and we know mm-hmm. that, and that's fine. We knew that he was going to, if he got traded, it would be bad news regardless from fans. But I think, you know, that there was the expectation that if he was traded, that it would be for somebody pretty, you know, that would absolutely, you know, kind of, help to move the needle and where you're saying that it's not necessarily going to move the needle in the short term. I think that's where there's kind of a big issue, especially when you're going to pay him, you know, you're going to extend him for four years and give him a $67 million contract. I mean, that to me doesn't sound great period. So I think that's fair. And I understand where you're coming from with that. Um, Look, the Cavs weren't just going to move Larry to move him. Although, look, I think when the Cavs drafted Evan Mobley with the number three pick, there were some inside the organization that were wondering, can we give Larry the kind of minutes per night that will keep him happy, that will, um, that he deserves at this point in his career? Right. I think there were legitimate questions about that. Um, So the Cavs weren't just... Because they value Larry so much, and even though they drafted Mobley, they weren't just going to trade Larry just for anybody. It had to be what they considered a better fitting player, equal or more talented than Larry. I can tell you that some inside the organization do believe that Markinen is more talented than Larry, while being a better fit than Larry. I'm not saying that they're right on that. I'm telling you that there are some inside the organization that believe that today. Um, And on top of that, a lot of the wings, the two-way wings that we've talked about that the Cavs set out this offseason to attain, many of them, Hayden, looking at their contract situations, many of them were not favorable from that standpoint. Right. So theoretically, yeah, they could have tried to trade Larry in a deal for Kyle Anderson from the Memphis Grizzlies. And you could have made an argument that Anderson was a better fit and he was the two-way wing and he would have plugged a hole that the Cavs have. Uh, One, he's not a great shooter, so we'll start there. Yeah. And two, he's on an expiring contract. So the Cavs essentially would have been trading Larry Nance Jr. for one year of Kyle Anderson. It's tough. Tough to justify that. 
Right. Um, you could have made an argument for Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles is a great shooter. He can handle the ball. Been on a winning team. He probably makes more of a difference in terms of the win-loss record. He's on an expiring contract. So you would have been trading Larry Nance Jr. for one year of Joe Ingles. I'm told that the organization was split on Dylan Brooks. Um, That some liked him and some did not like him at all. And his advanced numbers are horrendous. Um, So I don't know that everybody was comfortable enough to trade for Dylan Brooks if that meant giving up Larry. Right. So at the end of the day, um, even though the Cavs didn't fill the wing spot that they wanted to, they got a 24-year-old kid who fits better, they think, when it comes to their timeline, who shoots it better um, than maybe any of the wings available not named Joe Ingles, and is on a controllable contract. Four years, at least, of Laurie Markinen to them was better value than one year of Kyle Anderson or one year of uh, Joe Ingles or uh, whatever they were going to have to pay Dylan Brooks to keep him around. I'm trying to think of some of these other guys that that were, quote-unquote, available. Uh, I guess two years of Terrence Ross at somebody else that I know they had discussions about internally. Um, One year of Jeremy Lamb. One year of TJ Warren, if you want to throw those kinds of guys out there. So those were the kinds of players that the Cavs were looking at in a potential Nance trade. And again, I'm not saying that they were right in this but they feel the value of a 24-year-old seven-footer who can shoot, who is under team control for the next four years, the kind of guy that they could not have gotten in free agency, was, was more of, uh, was, was worth it to take a swing on that kind of guy. Because that's what this is. This is a gamble. This is a risk. It's a gamble. Um, but these are the kinds of swings... These are the kinds of swings that young teams in the situation that the Cavs are in really do have to take. I guess that's my whole thing here is that Kobe no I, and we've talked about this. We've we've mm-hmm. talked about this. Kobe and JB have to know at this point that you know if things don't go great, they're you know it, it might be it might be the end for them. They might oh, have sure. to, you know an whole new regime. So I guess my point is. Why, if you're Kobe, take a swing on a guy that, again, is just as, you know, there's there's no guarantee that he's going to be a lot better than, I mean, I guess my point is, why take a swing on a guy while using a guy that's such a home run? You know, like, Larry Nance Jr., at very least, is going to be a really, really, you know, hard worker you're he's going to be defensively good he's going to try to be better on the at the uh, on the outside um you know gets better year in and year out could be a leader in the in the locker room why take a swing on that when you could have a home run and then potentially try to swing elsewhere you know i understand that larry is a tradable asset but it just seems like if you're looking to keep your job and you're looking to you know 
put this or this organization to the next step. I don't know why you would take a swing like this while using a guy that you had in your back pocket. Do you think Nance helps Kobe keep his job in a better way than Markinen? I mean, I think he keeps the. I I, I kind of do. I mean, okay, if Markinen works out, sure. Yes. I mean, but again, I just obviously it's not as sure of a thing. I think Larry, given his given his work ethic, given his leadership in the locker room, given his, you know, abilities as a basketball player, I think he's just a lot more safe than a guy like Larry Markinen, who, yes, had a really good year last year, but has had some troubles um, and they didn't like his coaching. I understand that. Um, again, if I'm trying to keep my job, maybe I just that's. That's not maybe it's just a, something that I personally wouldn't do. But again, sure. there are there are risk takers that, and it sometimes it really works out. And again, that's the hope for the Cavaliers. But I mean, I guess my point is, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna put my job on the line, and I know my job's already kind of in hot water, mm-hmm. am I gonna do it on Laurie Markkinen over Larry Nance Jr. or in place of Larry Nance Jr. or however you want to say it? Am I gonna do it on Laurie like trading Larry Nance for Laurie Markkinen? I don't know that I am. So I think at the end of the day, I I think the truth is the Cavs have a higher floor with somebody like Nance. And you talked about it. He's a known commodity. They do. That's That's, the Right. But I think Markinen lifts their ceiling in a different kind of way. He's a 24-year-old kid who is a former top 10 pick. He's a seven-footer who shoots 40% from range. And it addresses... If, if we're talking positionally, it does not address the Cavs' greatest need. But if we're talking in terms of traits, it addresses the Cavs' greatest need. Shooting. Shooting. They do not have enough shooting. Right. Not only guys who can make shots, but guys who are willing to hoist a bunch. Like, remember, there were games where the Cavs were in the single digits of three-point attempts for almost the entirety of games. Yeah. Markkanen's going to take six on his own. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a risk. You're right about that. Because this one could blow up because the ceiling is just not as high with yeah. somebody like Markkanen. But, the, but I think... The floor is just not as high. Yeah, that's what I meant. The floor is not as high. Right. Um... But but I also think too many people are ignoring the human element here. Okay. Um, Larry Nance I Jr. Say, I would say too many. I would say too many people are too invested in the human element. No, 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 no. That human element, yes. But there are different layers to the human element here. Okay. Cool. Um, and one of them is Nance is 28 years old and wants to play for a contending team. Sure. I mean. When you get to that kind of point, when you're Larry Nance Jr., when you're Kevin Love, when you're Andre Drummond, you want to play for a contender. Nance got traded here to a LeBron team, Mm -hmm. thinking that he was going to compete for championships on his beloved hometown team. Right. And he was going to be part of that group. Then all of a sudden, LeBron leaves, that changes, and Nance is back in the rebuilding situation that he was with the Los Angeles Lakers. As a human being, 
if he had his choice, he'd probably rather play for Portland because Portland has more of a chance. Portland is playing for something. Portland is making moves that are more quote-unquote win now. And I think that appeals to somebody like Larry, who's 28 years old, who hasn't been a part of that with the exception of, you know, half of a season, basically. Um, The other thing is, on this team, Nance was probably going to get, I don't know, between like 24 to 28 minutes. You know, this is a guy who wants to play. Yeah. This is a guy who thinks he's a starter quality player in the NBA. And he's probably right about that. Um, True. Did the Cavs have those kinds of minutes for Larry? Now, they have those kinds of minutes for Markkanen because the shooting piece is going to allow him to play, they think, in a variety of different lineups. And they're always going to use it. But for Larry, who's more defensive-minded, who has more questions on the offensive end, the Cavs aren't as comfortable with his offense. You know, is he going to finish games? Or is Evan Mobley going to finish games? That's a good point. Can I be completely honest with you? Yeah. I thought I was going to walk into this podcast and you were going to make me feel better about this whole thing. And I'm just as <laughs> as I've been. I thought you were gonna. I thought you know, given what you, given what you know, given who you talk to and and your sources and the, you know the the again you you're around this team a lot more than I am. And I was thought I was gonna walk in and there was gonna be something and I was gonna be like, all right, okay. And yes, I get I get the the pluses, but like I still think that that. I was I was thought you were going to come in and just like here's how it's going to be here's why it's good here's how it's going to be laid out here's yeah. what they're thinking and I'm not there I didn't get I'm not going to get there I, I like just and not that anything you said was you I like you great information great like you know insight for sure I just I was expecting like more of like a all right well here's why it should work instead of like well it's a big gamble it's a big you know it's a yeah. big big risk I mean. Uh, you know, I, I and I, again, I, I I don't know if it's again it could work, could absolutely work given his shooting abilities, but um, I just think that there's a lot of different moving parts here, and I think Larry was just such a stable um, part of the organization in so many different ways. And sure, again, maybe the ceiling isn't as high um, that it, as it would be with Markinen, but you know, I think that he could have done a lot of things for a lot of these young guys and continually did, did a lot of things for a lot of these young guys. And I mean, yes, good for, good for Kobe and good for Larry to get his opportunity. Absolutely. Nobody is again, Larry is the winner in all this because, or, you know, maybe not so much a winner in that he has to leave Cleveland. I mean, obviously he loves it here and he's a, he's a Clevelander for life, but you know, winner for that he gets to go to a good team and is going to get to play and, you know, Good on the Cavaliers for recognizing, you know, that they wanted to send him to a good team and whatever. But um, it's just there's just so many questions. And I think, again, we're just going to have to wait till the regular season to see if they're answered. Um, and given the track record the Cavs have had over the past, you know, four years, I think that's why fans are pretty down on the deal as a whole. Because, again, not only because Larry is Larry, of course, that's part of it. 
but just, you know, that some of these deals haven't really worked out for them and things, you know, there's been situations that have been bad. And now you even look at the Kevin situation and maybe the Kevin situation gets even worse, you know, at this point to where, oh my goodness, you know, are they going to have to have a J.R. Smith situation where they pay him to stay home? I mean, what, what do you see foresee happening, especially with, um, Kevin Love, because that's a part of this, given that they have similar skill sets. It's a part of it. I, well, I don't think it is. In terms of Kevin, I mean, is Kevin going to get my point is that it's not a part of it in the long term, but in the short term, I mean, what are you going to do? Are you just going to let Kevin sit on the bench or are you going to let him sit at home? Are you going to play him? I mean, what's the what is the what is the next step? Does it matter? And ways, Isn't that a fair question? Isn't that a fair question to ask? In ways it matters. Why? Locker room? <sighs> Chemistry? I, I mean, I get, okay, so fine. All right, so so you're just saying that, you know, that if that now that this is done, that, that you know, Kevin can just do whatever and the Cavs will be there. He won't affect them in any way. I have no idea. To be honest with you, um, I have no idea what Kevin wants at this point in time. I have no idea what's going to make Kevin happy at this point in his career. I just don't think the Cavs can worry about that. Yeah, I'm not, and again, that's okay. That's a great point. I'm not saying that they should worry about that. I guess my point is just like, you know, he's been a significant piece for a long time. They're paying him a lot of money. I mean, so you're saying, and you said this before that that was pretty, this is pretty much their, their way of saying, yeah, well, we can't rely on Kevin. Kevin's not really a part of the plans going forward. Um, you know, we just got to figure out what he's going to do day in and day out. Exactly. Right. Okay. I mean, honestly, if if you think about the last couple of years and everything that this organization has gone through with Kevin, like why would they be in a position where they give a damn. I mean, I guess Kobe could say what he wants, you know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, they go into this season saying anything Kevin Love can give us, anything, whatever that may be, is just a bonus. Yeah. If he's okay coming off the bench, he's okay coming off the bench. If he's okay playing the five in certain lineups as opposed to the four, then he's okay with that. And if not, then too bad. We have other guys that are capable or just as capable, maybe even more capable, of filling those kinds of minutes. I, I, I honestly don't think the Cavs owe anything to Kevin Love at this point in time. No, I don't think they owe anything to him. But at the same time, like, you know, again, they're paying him a lot of money. They are. You're right. Is it a situation again? I, I, I guess my question after all this is just like, are they? is he going to – is Kevin Love just going to sit the bench? Are they going to pull a J.R. Smith and just have him – Stay at home. I mean, that's that's the honest to God question that I have at this point. There is a very, very difficult conversation coming up in the near future between Kevin Love and J.B. Bickerstaff. That's okay. what's coming. Yeah. Um, it's very, very hard, even for somebody like Kevin, um, somebody who, you know, I think can kind of see what his – best role is moving forward somebody who recognizes that he can't be quote unquote the guy um it it doesn't make it easier because he's prideful because he's emotional um but you know 
these are the kinds of conversations that you brought J.B. Bickerstaff as the head coach on to have. Yeah. You you love his communication. You love his relationships with players. Um, the fact that he has known Kevin since early on in his career and the two have a great relationship, maybe that helps some things. Um, but at this stage of Kevin's career, I think he's going to have to realize and it's going to be up to J.B. Bickerstaff to make him realize that it's time. It's time to come off the bench. It's time to have a lesser role. Even before the Cavs drafted Evan Mobley, number three, Hayden, uh, there were conversations internally about we have to limit Kevin's role. We have to limit his minutes because that's the best chance to, one, keep him healthy and maximize his effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the Cavs internally have had discussions about the possibility of playing Kevin as the backup five to Jared Allen, kind of like Brooklyn does with Blake Griffin, have him be a floor spacer, a shooter. Um, those conversations were obviously before they acquired Larry Markinen today or agreed to acquire Markinen today in the sign and trade um, with, with Portland and Chicago. Um, but those conversations have gone on. Um, but but if Kevin is in the rotation, we're talking like 12 to 15 minutes a night probably. That's about all that's available for somebody like him. Well, I mean, you know, I guess you're you're right. I guess if they if they if he wants if Kevin wants to you know put up wants to get out there and and play and and be a part of this, then I guess that's a good thing. I mean, that could if he's willing to do it. Um, it's just you know, given at this point of his career, given all the struggles, I mean, you know, maybe he feels again. I think that you're right. I think we got to see what happens in that conversation. We got to see how things go over the next couple of weeks. It's just, you know, I, I still see a lot of people buy out Kevin, buy out Kevin. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just don't see that happening. Well, I'm told those conversations haven't started yet, and if those conversations do start, Kevin's going to have to be the one to initiate those, and obviously he's going to have to give money back. That's not going to free up much salary in terms of space for the Cavs in the next couple of years because a big chunk of that salary is still going to count against their cap. Um, But if the situation becomes untenable for one reason or another, if the Cavs feel like Kevin's a drain on the organization, whatever the case may be, okay, then maybe maybe those conversations pick up and the Cavs feel like moving on from him is 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 the better option. Um, But Kevin's going to have to make it make it beneficial for them um, to come to that conclusion. So I just want your unfiltered thoughts on this trade. What I mean, what was the first thing that came to mind? What was the things that came to mind after you talked to the, you know, your, the people in the organization? Um, what what are your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously, you've said it's a little bit of a swing and, a, you know, could be a home run or could be a miss. What are your thoughts? First, sources close to Nance are happy Um, and say that Nance is happy about this as well, Um, that he's looking forward to the fit in Portland. He's looking forward to teaming up with Dame and his buddy C.J. McCollum in Portland. Mm -hmm. And even if the Blazers completely crumble and the situation is not what um, Nance thought it was at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, his contract is coming up. 
um, at the end of the 22-23 season. So he would then hit free agency and have a choice of of where he wants to go, and maybe he finds a better, quote-unquote, winning situation then. Um, but the Cavs worked with Nance on this. They worked with Nance's people on this to try and find a destination and do right by him. They didn't send him to crowded Memphis where he probably would have had a hard time getting playing time. Um, they didn't send him to, like, Sacramento or something like that. Right, this is a destination that that he was on board with going to. Um, aside from that, like my big takeaway is that this is a risk. This is a risk. The, the Cavs traded one of their adults, one of their known commodities, for a guy who has a lot of talent. The idea of him makes a lot of sense, especially on a team that is desperate for shooting. But... This is one a couple of years down the road. If Markinen doesn't continue on an upward trajectory, he looks like a bloated contract, and he looks like a guy who um, was a mistake to acquire for somebody like Larry Nance Jr. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, did the, do you think even if I mean again? I guess we'll find out. But do you think at the outset that they overpaid for um, Larry Markkinen? Just the the four years, the sixty million. I mean, do you think that potentially they they had they could have you know figured something out better in that regard? I don't think so. No, I think that's about what these kinds of guys do get paid. Um, the other thing is the the final year of his contract. I'm told only six million of that eighteen million is guaranteed. Okay. Okay. So that makes it a little bit more team friendly and that makes him more of a potential tradable asset. And there's not any kind of concern that because they're paying Markin in, when Mobley eventually needs a contract extension, that's going to prevent them from giving him a contract extension. Can you deliver me the news that I want to hear? Please. <laughs> Will there ever be a lineup that features Larry Markin in? Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. I mean, maybe, but oh, so close, so maybe, close. but maybe I, because, like, I've been told, the, never say never. The triple fours would be so awesome. I don't think it's something that they're going to use a lot. I'll put it that so, way. Of course, uh, right there, there isn't anybody inside the organization that views Markinen as a three. Right, and people inside this organization do not view Evan Mobley as a three either. So close. So, so, so. <laughs> I mean, I think at some point they're all three going to be on the court. And I'm going to be like, have to have to tune in no matter what's going on. Jamie Biggerstaff's the kind of coach who's going to try anything. I mean, you Whatever just it said, takes, man. you just said positionless basketball. I mean, that's what the Cavaliers, the Cavaliers have not been focused on fit for a long time. They've been focused on literally been focused on talent for the last year, years. They're not worried about fit. They're not worried at all about it. And maybe that's, you know, will be a detriment, but maybe, um, again, that could be a, an interesting situation where you said they'll do anything to put the, you know, the best players on the court. So we'll see. I think it's exciting. Chris, You'll do you figure have it out? I mean, again, like I said, there are 96 minutes to, to use up at the four and five spot and you'll split them accordingly. And, 
I think because Markkanen shoots the way that he does and because the Cavs feel, again, they could be wrong on this, but because they feel he's a better fit than Nance's, I think there are more opportunities for Markkanen to get those kinds of starter minutes than there were going to be for Nance to get those kind of starter minutes here. All right. Before I get to post this, because I want to get this up quickly, anything yeah. else you have for us? Well, they're not done. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not, not done. Th- no, yeah. they, they still need somebody um, to fill that wing spot. Now, again, they have internal options here. Their belief is that Jetty Osman is um, going to be better than he was this past year. Oh, boy. We'll see. That's their belief. Okay. Um, Dylan Windler is going to have an opportunity here. He's a former first-round pick. Yes, he, he is. can stay healthy, he's going to have an opportunity here to fill some minutes at the three spot behind Isaac Okoro. But Isaac's going to play like 34 to 6, 36 minutes a night probably. Oof. So, I mean, he's going to be a big-minute player for the Cavs if he can stay out of foul trouble because they need the things that he brings to the table, mainly on the defensive end of the floor, especially if they're going to run out that, that lineup with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton in the backcourt together. So they still do need somebody to fill those wing spots. There's no doubt about that. Um, They're going to be on the hunt for that. I think there is a chance, a chance that they trade another rotation player, maybe Jetty Osman, maybe Dylan Windler. Um, But they're not done. They're still looking at how they can improve this roster and how they can better balance this roster is probably the best way to put this. All right. Well, we'll be on the lookout for that. Certainly. I mean, obviously, again, things are kind of not scheduled. We could just have to we'll, we have to be reactionary at this point in terms of the the moves that are made. Sure. Great work by you today. Getting it out. You were right there, right on it. Right. Yeah. Woj beat me, but that's OK. That's well, yeah. yeah. I mean, not not by long, though. So good for you. Good good work. We, we appreciate it. Definitely. Um, go check out Chris's work at Cleveland.com slash Cavs. Are you planning to write anything else about the deal? I'm sure you'll, you know, put something together. Yeah, I might write something else about just what we talked about on, yeah. on the risks attached to it. Right. Okay, um, well, go check that out, Cleveland.com slash Cavs. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, I just think at the end of the day, like, no duh, they need a wing. I think they know that. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. And I don't think they went into this offseason saying – Hey, Markkanen's the focus of our offseason. Right. Markkanen's the guy that that we need to find a way to get. Right. But I, I think this is a case, Hayden, where what they consider a good opportunity just presented itself. Um, and I no, think, again, never, yeah, they feel like this guy, even though positionally it's funky, everybody will admit that. This guy fits because of his shooting. Um, I, you know, the Cavaliers. I'll give Kobe Allman this. He's very opportunistic. When things come up, you know, he makes it work. Um, yeah, I mean, look, they jumped in the Brooklyn deal and they got Jared Allen. And I don't think they were saying, "Oh, we got to find a way to get Markin in. We got to find a way to pay Markin in." But right. I, I think once they explored the market and saw the kinds of wings that they could have gotten in return for Larry Nance Jr. I think um, they felt better as an organization. And again, they could be wrong on this, but they felt better as an organization with Markkanen 
than those other guys that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. All right. Well, we will see. In the meantime, cleveland.com slash Cavs. Go check out all of Chris's work. And most importantly, go sign up for his subtext. You'd have had this information before anyone else, before it was put on Twitter. Again, uh, go to the cleveland.com slash Cavs page. Click on the blue banner and enter your phone number. $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial to get all of the insight and information. And again, news like this, right to your phone before anyone else. Again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page and enter your phone number, and you will get Chris's text sent straight to your phone with all of the Cavaliers' information and analysis news that you will ever need. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Thankfully, we were able to get together today. Thankfully, the Browns were uh, early in the day today, and uh, we will definitely uh, post this as soon as possible. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Talk to you guys soon. Have a beautiful weekend. Take care.